Yo, what up and welcome back to another edition, another episode of Think Like Me or Don't, the only, well, not the only, but a podcast like all the other podcasts that gives you the exclusive opportunity to choose to adopt my thoughts or not. Anyway, uh, we did not get any uh, comments last week, which is fine. I can't imagine any of you care enough to put any comments on this. Um, although I do encourage that you do that. If you would like to do so, anchor.fm forward slash think like me. You can also uh, give some donations. Again, why? Um, this week's episode is unique for a couple of reasons. First, there are some new segments that I've added, uh, dealing a little bit more with the way that I'm thinking and the thoughts I come up with right after getting punched and kicked in the face a bunch of times. Um, so that's kind of fun. Also, the majority of this episode is recorded again on the phone. Uh, including these intro segments because, well, my mind is crazy and it would take me too much time to go and set up my mic on my computer and I just kind of want to sit where I'm sitting and record these. So, yeah, that's how that works. Anyway, as always, if you would like to to drop a comment in, like I mentioned, anchor.fm forward slash think like me. This podcast is now syndicated across all of the podcasting channels, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and the other ones that I don't even know about. I think it's on Spotify even. So check me out wherever you would like to. The nice thing about if you listen right on Anchor, again, is that you can make uh, comments, but also it's easier for you to skip through the segments. So if you find yourself bored with a particular segment, you just skip on to the next one. Anyway, without further ado, on to me earlier this week. Peace. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back and welcome to a brand new segment that we like to call I Got Punched in the Face and Kicked a Bunch of Times, so let's see what kind of thoughts I have. This is a segment where I try and ramble out a bunch of thoughts on my way home from sparring and then as will most likely always be the case and as was the case this time, something will inevitably happen with the recording and so I have to re-record it on Monday. So that's what I'm doing now. The good thing is, over the course of the weekend, uh, those thoughts have a tendency to crystallize a little bit, and so what may have come out as the punch-drunk ramblings of someone who really did just get hit too hard in the face uh, can kind of be tempered slightly so that you can at least understand some of what I'm talking about. Anyway, I had two thoughts um, on Saturday after sparring that I thought were very interesting, uh, there's that word again, and I wanted to uh, throw them out there and see kind of what you think about them. So this has to do with fighting, with sparring, um, as most of the the thoughts in this particular segment are going to, um, just because of what will have just happened when I record it. I hope that in the future I can get more of these things done and not have the audio get messed up because it's actually kind of fun uh, to, to <laughs> it's kind of fun for me to go back and listen to myself trying to talk right after. I've been wailed on. So anyway, two thoughts that I want to talk about. The first uh, goes back to a quote that I think is most often attributed to Albert Einstein, although I'm not totally positive that he was actually the first one to say it. Um, I also think it's been attributed to a bunch of other people, but it's the, the quote is, uh, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity or something like that. And uh, it hit me uh, while I was sparring. Sparring is interesting because it always gives... It always slows everything down, um, at least for me. When I'm in the middle of sparring, there's no extraneous thought. It's all everything is everything is very focused, and um, the world outside of that round sort of ceases to exist for the most part. 
Um, and so it kind of channels these thoughts and, and puts them in a, in a very, um, digestible way, which I think is cool. Anyway, so this thought of doing the same thing over and over again, I, it, it applies, uh, very specifically to this week's edition of sparring. Um, but I want to give you some backstory as I do, because I think it will be interesting to you. And I think it'll help to explain sort of what I'm talking about. So when I got started in training, when I got for the first time I started sparring, um, we had some guys at the gym that were great guys, great training partners, but they were bigger and better than me. And what happens if any of you have ever gone to a, a combat sports of any kind gym and started sparring with the bigger and better, uh, uh, trainees at the gym, you have the same experience probably that I did, which is where you get punched a lot and getting punched a lot can do one of two things. If you're like me, it has a tendency to make you think more. So you're trying more to not get hit. If you are uh, not like me, I've only broken this down into two categories. So I apologize for being so generalization, making such a wide generalization. But uh, if you're not like me, then you have a tendency to do the opposite, which is you get hit and you come back stronger. Now, I, I saw that there were other people that when they got hit, they would come back stronger. And I didn't want to do that because I knew that then the person that I just hit would come back stronger and they were bigger and stronger and better than me. And so the chances of them hitting me harder were much higher. And I we wanted to avoid that. So it just, it was fear again. But um, what that led me to do, unfortunately, is stick to a uh, sort of rote set of combinations that were very predictable because those were the combinations that I threw because I was comfortable with them. It was combinations where uh, I was relatively certain that I wasn't going to get counterattacked, uh, combinations where I was relatively sure that I was going to do enough to not get my kicks caught, um, stuff like that. So that's the backstory, right? So I, I've struggled with this a lot. And recently, of late, uh, it's still kind of hit or miss on Saturdays. But recently, I think I feel like I've done a better job of not being so predictable. Um, because, you know, the, the ironic thing about being unpredictable is the same. The Being unpredictable is what makes it easier for you to get to pull off the things that you want to pull off. In fact, let me put that a different way. Not being predictable um, is not being predictable comes from the same. It basically is you have to turn off that fear. And if you can turn off the ironic thing, this is what's ironic about it. Sorry, I'm done doing a very good job of explaining this, but the ironic thing about that is that what you're afraid of is doing actions and, and, and doing, uh, and, you know, attacking in certain ways that you don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be, but doing those things actually makes it easier for you to do things and know what the outcome is going to be, if that makes sense. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, but like, for example, when I, I used to be, I was very, very big into, I did, wasn't very good at throwing my jab, which is unfortunate for such a tall guy. Um, and I threw a lot of leg kicks. So people were expecting me to throw these short, short punches and then leg kicks and then teeps every once in a while. I got okay at teeps, but not very good. The problem is if you only throw short, straight punches, leg kicks, and teeps, everybody's going to know exactly what you're about to do. It's easy to defend all of those things at once, right? Whereas I remember distinctly, I was sparred with one guy and, um, during that sparring round, he had said something to me before he said at the very beginning of every round, I just throw something really hard just to like set the pace. And I think what he meant by that was to intimidate the other person. But what I took that from that was 
throw something that they're not expecting so that they're, they don't think that you're going to throw the same thing. So in that round, I threw one of everything right out the gate. So I started with a left kick and then I threw a one, two hook and then I threw a low kick and then I threw a left, another left kick and then I threw a push kick. So I was just throwing a little bit of everything and it made me, this is the, the ironic thing from that, you know, 15 seconds at the beginning of the round where I threw one of everything made it easier for me to land the the simple short punches and the low kicks in the later rounds. Because now, instead of coming in and setting this, this pace that this is what I'm going to throw and it's going to be slow and I'm trying not to get hit, I had sort of put myself out there and established myself as I could do any of these things to you and now I'm going to choose which of them I'm going to do and you have to figure out what it is, all right? So that's the backstory. Now, this this particular week, uh, this is this is two days ago, um, we're sparring and I had, I had the same experience, the same sort of doing the same thing and expecting a different result, but from two different, diff- different sort of mindsets. And it, remember I mentioned earlier that you either take on the mindset of someone who is a little bit, uh, has a little bit less confidence and, and tries to throw the same things because that's what they're confident in. And they're not confident in, in, in variability. So there's one, ha- one side, this is so cool how I saw this one person that I went with. I saw that. I saw basically a mirror image of myself. I still do this quite a bit, but I'm a more often version of myself from, you know, two years ago, maybe. And then I saw the other version, which is doing the same things because you're overconfident in a particular move and you can't see beyond that one thing. Okay. So the first person that I went with, um, we, uh, as, as this person that has the same mental, uh, mental block with training that I do. Neither of us have a problem in fighting. Fighting is easy for both of us because fighting there, it's so simple. There's no variables. There's no considerations. When you fight, it's all right. I prepared for this. I'm healthy. We're good to go. You showed up, you prepared for this. You're healthy. I don't really know you. And the objective is clear. I'm going to hit you as many times and as hard as I can, uh, fast enough to where you can't hit me. And then I'm going to end up winning. When you're training, there's just so much more, there are so many more variables, you know, when am I fighting soon? Is this person fighting soon? Um, are they, how much smaller are they than me? How much bigger are they than me? Uh, are they healthy? Are they sick? Did they have a good, are they in a bad mood? Did they, you know, are they having stomach issues? Like there's so many things and because they're your friends and again, this might be unique to me and this other person, but I feel like it's a fairly even split. There's a lot of people that when you're training, it's harder to really turn it up on somebody unless, unless you, you know, and this takes a lot of time, but unless you know that going with that person, um, you know, that, that they're not going to take it. They're not going to hold it against you. If you throw hard, I have one friend that I train with, um, and that I, he's my, essentially my sparring partner. I spar with him more than anyone else. He and I have an understanding. We never really decided that was the deal, but we have an understanding that when we spar, um, we, have sparred enough to where there's it's, we're not tricking each other because we, we understand each other's or each other's patterns well enough. And so we both understand that if we get hit and hard, that's just part of the game. So it's a little bit different in those situations because there's that understanding, but with this, this other person, uh, they have a hard time just like I do of breaking through that, um, that, that, um, that barrier of not knowing whether, it's appropriate to go hard or go light or go fast or go slow. Like they just don't quite have, they don't feel like they have the control that they want to have in those situations. So it's hard. 
But the problem is that that leads them from a place of lack of confidence to throw the same things over and over and over again makes them very predictable. It doesn't make them any better. And so that um, that lack of willingness to uh, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but that lack of willingness to put yourself out there uh, in a sparring setting can lead to you just getting tool. You're just getting beat up essentially. And I know this from firsthand experience. Now, the other experience uh, was the same result, but uh, in a different way. So, so with the first person, essentially I could do anything that I wanted because I knew exactly what was going to be thrown in the second experience. It was the same thing. Now this other person uh, hits a little bit harder. He has a hard time controlling his power and it comes from um, partially it comes from confidence. It might actually come from the same lack of confidence, but he expresses it differently. Man, I was trying to keep the gender out of it, so it would be a little bit easier to keep them anonymous. But anyway, uh, it's a he, the second one. Um, so he uh, he throws hard, and, you know, I throw pretty hard with him too, but I've got like 50 pounds on him, so I try not to throw too hard. Um, and so, but he, he got stuck into, uh, he has the problem where if he finds that something works once, he has to stick with it and he can't, he can't see when it's time to move on to something else. And he, so last week to his credit, we, there were only three of us at sparring. And so I did many rounds with this guy. And when we go, you know, it usually takes two or three rounds to warm up and then we're basically fighting. Um, and last week he was able to get me to turn just enough to where my side was open my, my left side where my liver is. And he threw a bunch of powerful straight right hands right to my liver. And he caught me a bunch of times, but one time right at the end, the very last round that we had like, I don't know, maybe 45 seconds left in the round. He caught me with a really big one and it dropped me. And as I was on the ground, I thought to myself, okay, two things are going to happen right now. One, I'm going to get up because I'm not finishing this round on the ground. And two, I'm going to hit him with something really good. And I happen to do that, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, he caught me with that right hand. And so on Saturday, he was looking for that right hand to the body and he kept trying to throw. And he, he also caught me quite a few times with his right hand to the face, um, to the head. He, he, my, I have a tendency to keep my left hand down. anyway. So he knew that he knew that if he threw his right hand, he could catch me. Well, that was fine for the first couple of rounds. We probably did six rounds ish on Saturday. That was, that was fine for the first couple of rounds because he knew that that was going to work. But what I realized, because I was noticing a pattern was that he was going to keep throwing that right hand. He was going to throw it as much as he could. So because the guy he's about to fight is a southpaw, I was fighting left-handed uh, south in a southpaw stance. So I did two things. One, I kept moving myself to my right, which is off that center line, just to take some of the power off of that. And he has a tendency also to step in and like sit sit way down on his punches. And unfortunately for him, that puts him right into my clinch range. So he would, you know, I would spend the first, you know, minute or so of the round just staying, you know, st keeping my distance, staying back, popping him with a couple of jabs, throwing some hooks over the top of his jabs. And then uh, when he would, um, when he would come in and start throwing, sitting down on his punches and really like get set, I would just clinch him up. And I'm, I have the advantage in that situation because again, I have, he's a good wrestler and he, th he throws me, but he but he's smaller. So he has to expend more energy to move me just by the, by the, the nature of our weights. 
And so it's, it's actually kind of resting for me, which is what I, why I was doing it. <laughs> if you ever spar with someone who's bigger than you and they clinch you, it's because you're tiring them out. Um, but, uh, he, but it, it turned out the last like two or three rounds that we went, it was the same thing over and over again. It was very easy for me to neutralize that right hand because he can't throw it when I've clinched him. He can't really do much of anything when I've clinched him. Right. And so the, what he was unable to do was see that I see that I was clinching him when he would throw his right hand. Cause it's more than just seeing something that's working. It's also seeing how someone's reacting. Very good friend of mine. Who's a professional fighter, very, very famous professional fighter. I won't mention his name just because I don't want to, I don't want to build off of that. But he always told me when we first, when I, the first couple of times I trained with him and ever since then, he's always said, I always spend the first round letting the person, letting my opponent, opponent tell me what they're going to do. And then I spend the last round, the rest of the rounds capitalizing on that. So the first round is about not getting knocked out, which doesn't happen often, but if you're stupid, then sometimes it does, but it doesn't happen all that often. And it's also about trying things, seeing how your opponent responds. He's seeing how they react. The first rounds are just, okay, tell me how you're going to do. Tell me how you react when I throw this. Okay. What's your natural reaction when I throw this? Okay. How do you, what if I come from this side? What if I do that same thing and then fake you over to this side? How are you going to respond? Okay. And then you spend the the last couple of rounds, you know, the, the, towards the end capitalizing on that. So what this guy could have done instead of continuing to headhunt and throw that, that strong right hand thinking he was going to land it every time, which he does in fights. This is one thing that he does that I think he can probably improve on. If he knows that I'm going to do everything I can to keep him away from my liver, from that right side, from that, from his, his straight, right. What he can do is, uh, act as though he's going to throw the right hand very strongly. And then he knows I'm going to reach for the clinch, which is going to open up my body, which means he can throw the right kick, which is actually more powerful. Okay. So that's one thing he can do. Also, uh, he knows that I'm trying to get off the center line from his left hand or from his right hand. Right. So I'm moving to his left. Uh, so he also has an incredibly strong left hook. So instead of continually trying to just turn and keep throwing the right hand, what if he were to get me to move. And as I'm moving, he comes, fakes the right hand and throws a left hook over the top of my hand. Like he gets in behind my jab and throws it over the top, right? It, it, it acts like an overhand left at that point as though he was southpaw, right? So again, he, there are so many variables that are going into it. And I don't think that he was, I think maybe he was trying to throw those punches. Um, and so he's trying to, to land those particular shots, but it's interesting how that happens in sparring and in fighting too. If you aren't good at um, finding the openings and really paying attention to what your opponent is telling you with how they respond to the things you do, you're going to be the one. It's either going to you're either going to just sort of uh, muscle each other into a decision at the end of the fight, or you're going to be the one that gets capitalized on. Like with this guy, um, he's really good. I'll give it to him. He's probably better than I am at this point, but I'm crafty and old and wise. And so I know that if I put, I can know how I can defend myself, how I can put myself in situations where his power and his aggression and his cardio don't affect me as much. So he has to figure out ways to make that difficult for me so that I have to think twice before I go to reach for him. Right? So the point there again is, um, doing the same thing over and over again, especially if it's coming from a place of, well, in either case, it's coming from a lack of confidence 
Um, it's just that, you know, one, one, one of those is, um, you know, expressed with, with unconfident moves, the same things, but sort of not moving fast enough and not really trying to hit and like caring too much and thinking too much. And the other one comes from the other side where you're not really confident enough in yourself so that you, so what you end up doing is just throwing the same thing, but just harder. Right. So you can kind of see the idea there. Whereas as you get more confident in yourself and you in, in the process and in what's happening, you realize that that, so I have another training partner that I've sparred with a lot. He and I probably actually, now that I think about it uh, in the course of my Muay Thai training, he and I probably sparred more than I've sparred with anyone else. And he and I know each other really well. We lived together for a while, actually. And he and I, uh, have the exact opposite approach. And I, I get, I'm not, he's definitely better at this than I am, but I've, he's helped me. Uh, he's been very encouraging and he's helped with this process. But when I spar with him, it's the opposite. He and I both are trying new things. We're trying, you know, we're, we're airing out, uh, new ways of doing things, trying to, okay, what happens if I switch here? What happens if I throw this kick off of that? What happens, you know, if, if I, if I try and throw a low kick and they block it and then I go for the other side, right? Neither of us, he's, he's one that is very confident, uh, in his ability to throw anything from anywhere. And I think that's the important thing is when you get past the needing to know how, needing to know what the plan is and rather needing to know that you have an arsenal and you can pick from anything at any time and then put things together as you go. Right. It's kind of like music. You can either be a classical pianist that can only play things perfectly, or you can be a jazz pianist who knows all of the pieces, like has all of the the component parts down pat and can make anything at any point, right? Not that one is necessarily better than the other, but that's not the point that I'm getting to. So anyway, that was an interesting thought. Um, don't really know if there's a point to it beyond it's kind of cool. The other thing that I wanted to say, um, I think I'm actually going to do a separate segment for it so that it doesn't get buried in this one because it's actually a cool kind of a cool thought. So um, anyway, this is, this has been, I got, just got punched and kicked uh, in the face a bunch of times. And then I recorded this later because the recording got messed up. We'll see you in the next segment. Peace. Yo, welcome to a brand new segment that I'm creating now called This, Not That. In this edition of this segment, I have a popular metaphor used to describe combat sports that I want to get, I want just to think about a little bit differently. So a lot of people talk about combat sports as a game of chess. And I think it's particularly true about like Brazilian jiu-jitsu and some of those other games. Maybe MMA is more like that. But I think the stand-up sports are less like chess and more like rock, paper, scissors, right? Now, more explanation to come. I'll explain it over the course of this episode and probably over the course of future episodes. But think about that. Fighting. Muay Thai, kickboxing, boxing, the stand-up sports specifically, and probably, probably jujitsu too. I've never done it though, so I don't really know. But fighting, combat sports are less like chess and more like rock, paper, scissors. Think about it. Yo, yo, what's up? Welcome back to another uh, segment of some sort. This actually is a, a wick walk thought where the recording got messed up. And so I happen to be somewhat isolated right now in the car driving Wick to the vet. So I'm going to try and re-record it now. Hopefully I don't get a phone call because <laughs> the last time I tried to record something in the car, I got a phone call in the middle of it. 
and uh, that made it difficult to continue recording. So uh, I also don't know what's going to happen with the audio once I start traveling at higher speeds. So we'll just see how it goes. Anyway, the uh, the thought that I had, uh, so yesterday, today's Tuesday, yesterday was Monday, and I had a very interesting experience yesterday. I'm not going to try and sort of be too prescriptive with what happened yesterday. In, in other words, I'm, I'm just going to give you my experience from yesterday, and hopefully you'll be able to glean from that whatever is important to you or whatever. Anyway, so uh, for the last several months, I have been feeling a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of stuff uh, that needs to be done, both from a client delivery standpoint, like the stuff that needs to be done for my clients, but also from the standpoint of the growing my own business. Um, and I've talked a little bit about it of late, um, just talking about the growing beyond uh, uh, like a freelancer and into someone who owns something that's bigger. And really, it's frustrating and it's overwhelming because as I start to look to the future, I realize that I can't really uh, depend on um, freelancing forever. You can freelance for a long time, and I don't think that I'll ever really give it up. I think I'll always have some personal clients that I work with. But I, I'm I'm realizing more and more, well, at least I think that the future is going to require that I have more leverage. And so part of this move to make the agency into something that's bigger than just myself is, um, is about creating leverage. It's about taking what I know and what I've done and expanding it so that I have more influence and I can, I can reap the rewards of that a little bit further. Um, anyway, but the problem is going from where going from being the person who does all the delivery to being the person who manages the delivery requires a lot of planning, it requires a lot of foresight, and it requires almost near-perfect execution, um, or at least a lot of luck. Uh, I have the execution part pretty much down, not so much the luck. <laughs> and and so it's just been a lot, it's been frustrating and worrisome because things have not gone, gone according to plan, clients don't always pay when you expect them to, and I've just sort of counted a few of my chickens before they hatched, so to speak. Um, Anyway, so so the, the each so if I take the last few months and I look at every each day on average, like an average day, not including yesterday, from the last probably two months, um, it's it reminds me a lot of the feeling that I felt um, right towards the end of every one of the jobs that I've had of the, over the last five ten years, where I right before I quit, um, and I I'm part of me is wondering now whether I quit those jobs because of a lack of understanding of what it was going to take or if it was maybe the fact that I don't take care of myself well enough. I, I, I push too hard and that in fact this, this experience on Monday may speak to that. Um, but I actually think it's more, you know, it, it's probably a little bit of those things, but I think more so there, why would I put myself through that if it wasn't for my thing? That's the thing that I keep asking myself. Why would I put myself through the experience of the stress and the worry and the overwhelm if it wasn't something that was going to directly benefit me and my business, right? Um, if I was just building somebody else's thing. So that's, that's kind of what I've come to, but it's been overwhelming nonetheless, right? So every day has been like, I, I don't feel like I can put work down. I get up in the morning and I, by the, by the time I'm awake, I'm already... I already have that feeling that I had in high school when I would put off doing homework. I don't know if you can relate to that feeling, but 
you know, you, you know you have a project that's due, you know you have homework that's due, there's always homework to do, you're always behind, and it seems like uh, you just can't get ahead. And so there's, so you always, you have that constant feeling of, oh shoot, I'm behind on everything, like I have so much to do, and so you don't do anything. And I feel like that's kind of what's been happening. Uh, I've just felt overwhelmed just in general with the, um, there's the, the sheer volume of stuff that needs to happen. And so I've, I've, uh, I've spent a lot of hours, but essentially just spinning my wheels in the mud. So you can imagine like a, a car that gets stuck in the mud or stuck in like the snow and it, the person just keeps spinning his wheels thinking he's going to get out. Uh, but I think in the back of his head, he understands he or she, I should say, understands that just spinning your wheels just gets you further stuck. Anyway, so that's kind of been where I'm at. I'm sure that any of you that have run businesses before or that are require are, are responsible for a lot at your company, you probably can relate to that. But um, I, uh, but I, it's just been a little bit overwhelming, and I, you know, I've been I've been burning the candle at both ends. I haven't been training. I haven't been really exercising, keeping taking care of myself. I'm gaining weight, like all the stuff that's happened every every job I've ever had. Um, but, but on top of the, all of those things, I also have a business that's like, it, it, at times it feels like it's hanging from a thread. I know that it's not. And part of this experience on Monday, uh, has helped to, to speak to that particular thing, but it feels on occasion like it's hanging from a thread. And so that's part of the reason why I've clung to it so strongly and why I've spent so much time on it. And while well, I think I'm spending so much time on it, while I'm, you know, just like, like just being with it too much, it's kind of like um, I've done this in the past. But have you ever like been the person in a relationship that's like too clingy, too needy? It's kind of like that, where you push too hard, you hang on to something. In fact, here's an even better example: um, when you drive on the freeway, or you drive really fast, or you drive a car in general, actually. Um, when I don't know if you know this, but the, the tighter you grip the wheel, the less control you have over the car. This is an interesting interesting thing that I've realized over, over time. The tighter you grip the wheel, the less control you have on the car because you don't have the physical... This is so ironic. You don't have the physical ability to keep the car moving straight if it wants to move somewhere else. And really crazy thing is sometimes if there are imperfections in the road, if you hold the wheel super tight, you can actually throw your car off course because the wheels, if you're moving, if the, the weight of the car is going to move the car forward in the, in, in the forward direction, the wheels in the front, all they do is grip the road so that it can take that momentum that the car moving straight forward and turn it in one direction or the other. But if there are small imperfections in the road or if you're going over a really bumpy road or a very rough road, um, sometimes the small uh, small shifts in the steering, like the, the, the front wheels can move back and forth, but you still have enough weight in the car to move the car straight forward. So I've actually been in situations on the side of a cliff. I'm not, I'm not joking at all. The side of a cliff driving a car uh, where that was incredibly bu- uh, bumpy and it was like it was it was one of those like I had to drive the car straight and hug the hug the side or I was literally going to drive off a cliff right 
uh, and I found that I had a better chance of keeping the car moving straight and on course if I didn't hold the wheel too tight, but I let the wheel kind of like jiggle back and forth. Uh, because again, the weight of the car and the, the momentum of the car was going to keep it moving forward. So anyway, the, the deal there is if you hold on too tight, you actually put it in more danger. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's some science there, by the way, you can go look up. I don't know, but that's just been my experience when the holder, the, the tighter I hold on to the wheel of the car, the more I've found myself in more situations where I'm getting thrown off course. Um, anyway, so that's the idea. I'm, I'm holding on too tight to the wheel of the car, the business, because I don't feel confident in the future, right? Well, Monday, so that's the 10-minute lead-up to the experience, and I apologize for my long-windedness. Well, not really. Uh, Monday was a little bit different. I woke up on Monday, and and a thought had crystallized for me. And this actually, if you remember episode, I think it was 18 or 19, where I was in in Ramona, um, this, I had this thought, and then it, you know, life came and, and forced me to forget the thought. And then I was reminded of it again this week on Monday. And now I'm re re experiencing this quote unquote, discovering that thought this week. So Monday, uh, it crystallized for me. That whole experience in Ramona was about forcing myself to take time off, like to take time away from what I was doing and that the time away is what creates the stronger bond. It's what creates the, the strength. I mean, you think about distance makes the heart grow fonder is that's the, like the dating or marriage or like relationships idea. Like what I said about the car, the, the looser you hold on to the wheel, the more control you have, right? Some this, that's, that's kind of the idea. Uh, and it came together. I remembered an article. Well, it was more like a Facebook post that I read probably three, four months ago. Maybe it was longer than that. Um, by Dennis Yu, who, if I remember right, works for GoDaddy, uh, works with a, a good friend of mine um, who used to work at Infusionsoft. Anyway, long story, that's not important. Um, but he said, and I'm paraphrasing, so Dennis, if you ever hear this or anybody who knows Dennis and read that post, I apologize for, for speaking as though I know what you meant, but this is what I got from it. He said, I used to work 40 hours a week. He said, I used, to, I used to work 40 hours a week, meaning I used to put all my time into client work, into like my job. He said, now I do, uh, that work takes up maybe four hours per week and I spend the rest of my time leveraging my experience. So spend, you know, mentoring people, um, uh, creating new relationships, uh, creating content, right? All that kind of stuff. So he said, leverage is what happens in the off time. So what I took from that is you can either spend your time on the widget. So the widget being like your product or service, you can either spend your time on the widget or you can spend your time on the business. This is not a new concept, right? So Monday for me, because that thought sort of crystallized and I I woke up with that thought, I thought, okay, so I know that I need to take it easy today because I know I've been overwhelmed and I know that things have gone crazy. What I'm going to do is, um, I'm just going to try and be super productive at the beginning of the day and then not try and, and push it too hard, not try and overdo it, not try and be, you know, too extra, um, motivated or too extra focused. I'm just going to try and do, uh, what's necessary and and then move forward and, and really pay attention to things that need to happen 
and do those things and don't try and dig into like waste a bunch of my energy on things that aren't actually going to move things forward. So I thought, okay, I have a list in front of me. I already made this list a couple weeks ago. Here are things that actually need to be done. And I was behind on a couple of things. So the first thing I did is I spent the first 45 minutes getting caught up on some pieces, some, some client work that I had gotten behind on from the previous week, right? 45 minutes, stuff I had put off because I thought it was going to take longer, but I just got it done. And then it was done. And that was it. And then there were some other projects that were sort of in flux. And so I did some things there, uh, got some things ready to launch, pushed some things out. And uh, that took me another uh, maybe hour and a half, right? So we're, we're, we're barely, we're approaching three hours on the day, just, just over three hours on the day. And I've already gotten all this stuff done. Well, at that point, I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a break. I forced myself to go take a full 15-minute break. And I know it was 15 minutes because quick little diversion, little uh, uh, digression here. I have these, I don't know if you've heard of a company called, company called Inkbox. I've always been fascinated with tattoos. always wanted to get a tattoo, but I could never think of what I could commit to. And so uh, Inkbox essentially makes temporary tattoos. They last like two weeks, which is great because one of the ones that I put on, I totally smudged. So luckily it's going to be gone in a couple of weeks and I won't have to worry about it. Anyway, so I know it was 15 minutes because it takes 15 minutes to apply one. So I put one of these things on uh, and then I came back and I had a, um, I had a, a sales call. So I got on the sales call. That it went okay. It didn't go great, but it went okay. And then um, went back and put another tattoo on and applied another, so another 15 minutes. So this is 30 minutes now that I've taken out of the day to do something that doesn't move the business forward at all. Then uh, did a little bit more work uh, for another client, put some things together, did some reporting, and sent it off to the client. And then um, I took a full hour and a half lunch. And I know it was an hour and a half for lunch because I left my office and went into the living room. I made myself some lunch. I sat down and I watched a movie. I watched a movie over my lunch, Okay. And when the movie was over, I went back and I finished up a couple of things and then I was done. Now, here's the important thing. I spent less minutes engaged in client work or in uh, business work, okay? Um, But I felt, at the end of the day, I felt like I had got more accomplished that day. This is yesterday. I felt like I got more accomplished yesterday than I have in months. Not months in total, but... I felt more more. I felt better about yesterday than I felt about a day in months. Put it that way, right? And I think that's the important thing. I think that you can. Uh, I know that I I burn out very easily if the overwhelm becomes the norm. If there's no if there's no break from the overwhelm, then I get more. It's just a it's a downward spiral. But if there is, if I can get to the point where at, at least for a day I feel like I was productive. And I feel like I moved things forward. And on the as a side note, I actually did move things forward. So that was good. Um, it's huge for me personally, for my business, and for moving everything forward. So I, I went into today, Tuesday, feeling much more positive about the future. I didn't, I didn't put any money in my bank account yesterday. I didn't, uh, I didn't, I still have some, I mean, in fact, I had a bunch of bills that, um, that were a bunch of charges that declined and a bunch of things that didn't go great. The sales call didn't go the way that I wanted it to. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's, it's not, nothing's perfect right now, but I feel more positive about the future. And I think that that feeling of positivity, especially for entrepreneurial types that are, uh, I think that most entrepreneurial types are like me in that we need, 
the feeling. We need to feel like we're, we're being productive. We need to feel like it's working out for us. Otherwise, um, you know, we won't. Otherwise, it, like, we can't. We can't do it. It's hard for us to, to actually uh, push forward and, and make things happen. And so, um, uh, and so um, it's very important to, uh, to make that, for me, it's very important to, to find those moments. And I, I think that the reason why I was able to find that moment yesterday is because I didn't, I wasn't hanging on to the steering wheel too tightly. I was, I was just doing what I knew, what was right in front of me. I was chunking it down and not focused on, I wasn't focused on the whole elephant. I was focused on, um, I don't know if you ever heard the, the, the old tale of the, how to eat an elephant. You did, you know, one bite or a whale, one bite at a time. I wasn't focused on the whole elephant. I was focused on this, the first bite, right? I wasn't focused on climbing the whole mountain. I was cl- focused on the steps that were in front of me. And I think that is what made the huge difference. So anyway, um, we're actually here now. I've managed to, uh, to make this, this little segment take the entire, uh, trip, which is exactly what I wanted to do. So hopefully that, uh, helps and hopefully you're not t- totally bored by my craziness. Peace. What up? So, uh, this is, uh, the second edition of, I just got punched in the face a bunch of times and now I'm going to talk about it and, uh, and we're going to see what comes out. Uh, this is a segment that I do on my way home from a sparring session. So if you can imagine, I just got done punching and kicking and getting punched and kicked. And so now I am going to try and form sentences and, and make complete thoughts happen. Also, you get to hear me try and talk when I'm extremely parched and I need a lot more water than I currently have. I don't know if you can tell, if you can hear it in my voice. <clears throat> anyway, so interesting, this, this, uh, this, so Tuesdays and Thursdays when I spar during the day, it's with a good friend of mine. Um, and of all the people that I spar with, he and I probably go the hardest, but it's because we've sparred together so often that we kind of understand, we have an understanding. In fact, we talked about that today that like we, you know, sometimes we'll go with other people that go really hard or are kind of assholes about sparring, but both of he and I tend to go, we hit each other harder but we have a rapport, like we, we trust each other because we've been, we've been going for longer. Um, anyway, so that just, I mean, that speaks to any number of points. Like some, sometimes you have to build trust with someone before you can, before someone can really understand what you're doing. Um, and also sometimes you have to remember that until you've built that trust with someone, you have to hold back, right? So anyway, it's all, all a number of lessons there, but that's not what I want to talk about today because today the interesting, uh, the really interesting thing that happened was I found myself, uh, shirking or not shirking cause that's not the right feeling. I found myself casting off, if you will, the, uh, blocks, the mental blocks that I've had in the past when I spar with this particular guy. Um, he's a Southpaw and there are sparring with the Southpaw comes with its own set of, uh, interesting little caveats. Um, but there's a lot of things that I, that I never really thought about. 
And uh, today, while, I, while we were warming up for the class that we took before we sparred, I, I had some thoughts run through my head, and, and it's, he's going to laugh if he hears this, but I was, as I was shadow boxing, I was preparing for our sparring rounds, <laughs> doing some uh, combinations and like thinking through things that I thought would work. And uh, what happened was I realized that he and I approach each other in relatively the same way. Because both of us are we're about the same size, I've only got about 10, maybe maybe 12 pounds on him. Um, he's really aggressive, and as a southpaw, he actually has an advantage. Um, and uh, and so when we go, it's we're fairly evenly matched. So a lot of times, it's like a it's it's more like like with him, it sometimes feels like it's more like a game of chess. And I know I just talked about how sparring is actually rock paper scissors, but anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. So what happens a lot of times is we get stuck in the same sort of back and forth where he will be aggressive and come forward with jabs and I'll back up to try and counter punch and then I'll get into a, a dominant position and then I'll come at him with jabs and then he'll back up and we'll just sort of trade back and forth that way. Well, what I thought this morning while I was shadow boxing or, or right before class was interesting. What if I throw the jab to get him to back up and then because he's focused on that and because I mean he's he's not used to me throwing anything else after that what if I do jab jab get him to back up and then throw a right kick like what if I just what if that's what I do so I worked on that I practiced it during shadow boxing I practiced it on the bag when we did our bag rounds and then when we sparred it was like the first thing that I did and for the first round it was like jab jab kick jab jab kick and it and the interesting what happened what I th- took from it was um, if you don't prepare, even for situations that you think are uh, like you you understand them or you you do that kind of thing all the time, if you don't put the time in to prepare, even in even in small little ways, you can overlook uh, massive opportunities. And so you know, I think it just speaks to don't ever get complacent. Like for me. Uh, I realize that anytime I go into any sparring round, I need to take a couple of seconds and think about what did I do with this person last time and what can I do with them moving forward? So that, if you remember from earlier in this episode, so that I don't end up doing the same thing over and over and over again and hoping for and expecting a different result, right? So anyway, just an interesting uh, little experience today. Um, Good to get back into sparring during the day too. And uh, hopefully that spoke to you or you learned something from it. Also, hopefully you can hear because I know it's a little bit louder because I'm driving faster. Anyway, uh, see you in the next segment. Peace. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back. Got one more wick walk thought for you. Um, And it's another story. So it's mostly about the power of collaboration and also the power of, I say the power, but just the ability to recognize when something that's happening is significant. Yesterday, a group of buddies and I got together to talk about our general lack of uh, confidence in the long-term future of any of our current endeavors. Not really a lack of confidence, but more desire for more. And one of my good friends, Greg Jenkins from 
Monkey Pod Marketing, shout out to Greg, what, what, uh, made a very, very good point, which crystallized some things that had been sort of floating around in my head, but the way he, the way it crystallized for him made perfect sense to me, and that is, he, um, he'd been trying for a long time to find ways to dig deeper in his business and create, make his, his business bigger for his own, like just for the sake of, of scale, for the sake of him being able to leverage his expertise and time across like and, and get more of a return, so make more money. And he had a conversation that helped him crystallize the fact that he actually doesn't need to do that because instead of putting time and effort trying to grow something that's kind of at a good place and it's not really doesn't really need to grow much further. Um, why not just spend that same energy finding somebody, like auto, basically creating full automation in the business, and finding somebody else to uh, run it, essentially, and decrease his time needed in it. Right. So essentially, instead of trying to build his thing bigger, why not just go build more things? Right get his thing where he has it now into a place where he could go do something else and then just go do other things. And I was like, I love, that's the perfect way to put it. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot because I've like, I know and have known for a long time that this Infusionsoft services thing is something that is A, lucrative for me and B, that I'm good at. And so for that reason, I've, I keep coming back to it. I've tried to actually quit that industry for, I've actually tried a couple of times to quit. And uh, I keep coming back because I don't have enough experience or expertise in other fields to like legitimately, legitimately create the same level of a career as I have doing that. And so I keep coming back to it. Um, but it's not something that I have ever thought was what I wanted to be doing all the time. Like I have, I have some personal, like, I don't want to call it a vendetta, but I have some personal beliefs that drive me a little bit more so now than, than used to. Like a, some things that I'm trying to fix in the industry. Seems a little bit ballsy, but that's what's happening. Um, but still, long term, like when I'm 40, I'd prefer not to be building Infusionsoft campaigns myself. Right? And so that kind of crystallized for me really why I want to make this transition. Because I've been talking over the last few segments and the last couple of episodes about my frustration with the way, like the place the business is in right now. Like my uh, consulting business, my agency, so to speak. And I've been frustrated with how, um, how I, am, I felt like forced into this growth thing because there isn't a way... There isn't really a way to scale a single freelancer. Like you can't do that. You either do it, do the work, and get the money, or you don't. And this, for me, because for a long time, like I've had this belief that that we overinflate. We as consult consultants, we as consultants in the uh, digital marketing, marketing automation, Infusionsoft websites, all that kind of stuff, in that space, we we tend to conflate what we consider our experience as value 
in the sense that we should be paid what we are worth, right? Meaning, I went and did a bunch of stuff, and we're ta- we're taught this, right? This is what a lot of the a lot of the I'm going to call them the old guard, mostly just because I need something to call them. But a lot of the 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 high level marketing consultants that made their name that sort of ushered in this wave of more automation consultants like Dan Kennedy, Frank Kern, uh, Andy Jenkins, like these, these people, Ryan Dice, that, are, that were ahead of the curve and so therefore were able to make a name for themselves. Um, uh, make a name for themselves beforehand because they were getting into... Move forward. Sorry, wait. Just keeps trying to trip me up. Um, and because they talk a lot about creating leverage for yourself and, and price strategy and all these different things, we're now in a situation where marketing, consulting, digital marketing, automation consulting services are overpriced. And they're overpriced. It's not that it's not that the people aren't that, that there's no value in their experience and their expertise. It's that the things that they are charging businesses to do uh, do not result in enough of a return to make it worth it. So I've talked a little bit, and I think on the on my business page today, I have a, a video scheduled to go out, which talks about. The difference between value and uh, and results, value and return, right? And how a lot of times agencies and freelancers and consultants will conflate their self-perceived value with uh, with the um, with the like the reason why they should be working with you, and and basically they'll just they'll convince business owners that. I have experience, therefore you should pay me more. When really it should be, I can get you a return, so you should pay me more. right? Or even better, I got you a return, now pay me more. So, I mean really, we're, just, we're kind of going into these, these questions trying to leverage expertise too much. Maybe that's the thing, it's not so much the difference between results and, and value, it's leverage. What are you trying to leverage? Are you trying to leverage uh, who you've talked to in the past, who you've worked with. You're trying to leverage your, your field of experience, your field of knowledge, or are you trying to leverage your ability? Like your actual hard ability. Like I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe a good way to describe it is the difference between soft ability and hard ability. Um, soft ability being like your knowledge, your, the, 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 your, your reps, like the number of things that you've been able to do. Like it's the difference between, we'll put it this way, in a fighting uh, stance. This might be the best, the best way to put it. Um, if you go into a fight and you walk into the ring and the first bell rings for the first round and you say, okay, I won. Everyone's like, what? I mean, the fight hasn't even happened yet. You're like, no, I won. I'm, I'm better. I'm going to win. I'm better than this guy. And you're, everybody's like, what are you talking about? He's like, and you say, uh, I've been training for longer. You're like, what? You're like, yeah, I've been training for longer, and I know for a fact that I've done more reps 
uh, more pad rounds. Uh, I've, I've done more sparring rounds. Uh, I'm just more experienced, and I'm and I'm have have a, a longer history with this sport than the guy that I'm about to fight. About to fight so I'm going to win. So you should just give me the belt. You should just give me the championship belt. And it's like, but you got, you haven't even fought yet. You haven't even done the thing that's going to prove whether or not all of that, all those reps make a difference, right? And so I think it's important to realize that, um, again, (laughs) I went kind of deep on this thought and I'll I'll wrap it up in a second, but the important thing to realize is that you, um, uh, I am, I am still invested in making some changes in my, in this industry because I believe that there's too much of that conflation. Experience equals value as opposed to value equals value, right? Or legitimately, like, projected return. A return someone can commit to, right? And so it's, you know, it's just a, it's a different approach and, and I think it may be too nuanced. I don't know. But that's what, that's kind of what drives me to stick around because I feel like there's enough of a, of a need for me because I don't think anybody else is going to say that because everybody else is trying to leverage their experience as opposed to like what they've actually done. You know what I mean? And by the way, to take that fighting metaphor a little bit further, it's the same thing if you have more fights than the other guy. Like you could, you could just as well come in and say, I have a record of 10 and 1 and he has a record of uh, like 5 and 5. Or he has a record of two and two. Let's say that even better. Like, you could stop the fight at the very beginning and be like, look, come on, guys, I'm going to win. Just give me the belt. Give me the reward for having performed before I perform because my history says that I will perform better. But we forget, this is the consistent thing that we forget in this industry, uh, everything changes. There is no, you can't predict how any particular campaign, how any particular thing is going to work out. You can't. And so you, we have to be better about being secure in our ability to generate results because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. In fact, we probably should all, the more, the more I talk about this, the more I realize that the only way to really put my money where my mouth is, is to stop charging hourly um, and start, in fact, start, stop charging a retainer of any kind and start charging a percentage. I might actually do that. I know everybody says that's so hard to track and how do you know, you know then it's a nightmare of tracking. But I, I, I think it's not a matter of difficulty. I think it's a matter of integrity for me. I might be stupid, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The whole point here is I stay in this industry because I have like reason to be here. I have bone to pick still. And so because I have that bone to pick and because I'm sticking around, I realized that in order for me to be able to do what I want to do, which is leverage my time and create leverage for myself across other businesses and other ideas. And because I have lots of ideas. And like I've mentioned before, I just want to go, I just want to go do stuff. (laughs) Um, I have, uh, that's a big part of the reason why I have started to transition my agency from being me as the everything 
to me just running it. Because eventually what I want to do is, uh, I mean, the, the, the model kind of builds into itself long-term training and expertise growing within the organization. And so at a certain point, any of the people that I've brought on will be good enough to just continue it, at least in theory. So we'll see kind of how that works. But, but the idea there is growing our businesses, growing what we've got to a point and then buttoning it up and moving on to the next thing so that instead of just creating one big Lego brick, you create 10 Lego bricks that are the bigger than, that are about the same size as the one because now you've got diversification across your portfolio. You've got a little bit more long-term leverage and your, your bets are hedged, right? You've, you've hedged against one of them going down by creating three or four more. And, uh, and so the, the point of this particular segment was the power of collaboration. And interestingly enough, I don't know that I ever would have even had the thought to expand. First of all, I'm pretty sure that I would not have left my last job if I hadn't started going to lunch with these guys. Not that they caused me to leave, but just because hanging out with people and collaborating with people opens your eyes. It's like, it's going to get loud here for a second, so let's just walk through this. Um, it's like when you, when you like get really intense in your job or with a relationship and you forget to go and have friends, you can forget kind of who you are a little bit. And once you go back out and reconnect with people, sometimes you can rekindle some of the old passion, the old fire, the things that you really want to be doing. And that's what happened to me. I got so, I got so engrossed in what was happening with the, with, the, with the company that I was working for that I was unable to, I couldn't see myself. I couldn't really see myself for the, for the entrepreneur that I am. I saw myself as a, as a, just a worker, just as a drone in a, in a, in a spot. And it sort of wore me down. But starting to go to lunch with them and starting to talk about ideas and collaborate more has created something a little bit bigger, um, which has just opened up, you know, expanded my, my own horizons. And now the four of us are talking about potentially collaborating on a bigger project uh, than any of our businesses, which could be really cool. I mean, it's just, it's discussion phases right now, and we have some inroads to it. But like, that collaboration, it gives you, there's just so much there. And I could probably unpack it a little bit more and dig into why it's cool and all that kind of stuff. But I think it makes sense. Like, I think most people understand that, um, that having other people to bounce ideas off of and having other people to communicate with and, and um, you know, just bat things around makes a huge difference. And when you have those people to, to in fact, one of the other things, and I'll, I'll end with this, this is going to be a little longer segment because I kept the mic recording all the way up to my apartment so <laughs> I can keep going. Uh, and it, forgive me for the sounds that are going on in the background because I, in fact, actually, I'm going to pause this for one second. All right, sorry about that. It's just easier for me not to have to deal with Wick while I'm recording. Anyway, um, the interesting thing is as you start to uh, build into that collaboration and as you start to bounce ideas and, and get people, you know, have people that you trust that you can, you can 
um, ask things to and show things to and, and get their opinion on. Um, and not only that you can trust, but that are good at what they do. Like one of the things that I run into all the time in my business is you can't, if you're too close to your product or your service, you aren't a very reliable source of content, right? This is kind of hard for any business owner to understand. You might think that, oh, I'm, I'm the closest to the product. I know it the best. So I would be the person that would know exactly how to create content for it. But the truth is, you are way too close to it. I know this because I just came up with a new service offering, and I spent, I've spent like three weeks trying to get the messaging right for it, and it's off. And it's because there's so much that's important to me about what I'm talking about that uh, somebody else, they have no, there's no context for it. Like, they don't understand it. One of these friends, for example, I... I, uh, I sent over a video that I recorded and he was like, this doesn't make any sense. I was like, no, 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 but all the point, like everything's there. All the, all the important things are there. And he was like, yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. And I was like, ah, shoot. So then I, I stepped back and I thought, okay, yeah, no, he's right. It doesn't make any sense. I need to shift some things around. I need to, to say different things. I need to get to different points faster. And it, and it helps to, to realize when you have somebody else that's like giving you direction like that, it helps when they can realize, um, they can help you realize really the progression of thought for a customer because they they're not as close to what you're doing as you are. So they're not really going to know. All right, like you're going to get one of these for your dental treat even though we don't have one. Um, like, like, so, so now we got to the point where I've created a more, a more streamlined flow to help people understand here's what, here's what's going to bring people's attention. Here's the, here's where the explanation fits. It's later. Uh, anyway, so the, the, the collaboration part of it, there's just so much there and you can, it, with anything that you do, you can get so entrenched in your own way of thinking about something that you can miss the mark completely if you don't have any communication with anybody else or any type of collaboration. Um, and so that's, that, that, you know, I think that we all sort of understand, understand that intrinsically. Like I've always preferred the collaborative approach to anything. I've always preferred not being alone um, because I work better in that. Uh, you know, I'm, what I do, what my opinions, the things that I say are more valuable to everyone if, if they're not in a vacuum, you know, if I'm not just sitting by myself. And so, oh, interesting. So I think that's an important point. And, and the, 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 really what I wanted to get to was that collaboration in that sense can lead to better everything because you've got that much extra expertise that's coming to bear. So anyway, forgive my rambling, forgive the, 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 the long and short and all that kind of stuff. Um, and peace. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, hope you're still listening. Or maybe for your own sake, I don't hope that you're still listening. In any case, remember, uh, hit me up at anchor.fm forward slash thinklikeme to drop in some comments and to uh, make some donations, which I – now I just think it would be cool. Not that I, not that I really want you to put yourself through the, through, through the emotional – I really don't want you to have to put yourself in the emotional place that you would have to go to decide to give me donations to make this podcast. So for that reason, I, I don't actually recommend that you do this. But 
because I think it would be cool. So there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, I I'm uh, I want you to, but I also don't want you to. Anyway, uh, anchor.fm forward slash think like me. Drop some comments. Drop some cash. See you next week. Peace.